Let's commit this time to the Lord. Sovereign and mighty God, we thank you that we can call you our Abba Father. We wonder in awe at the amazing grace that because of Jesus Christ, we can be called your children, that we have a future and hope because of your fatherhood, heart of love and goodness over us. So Lord, we pray that you will speak to us in this moment, that we will be again renewed in your fatherly love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. In the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out the basis of our Christian faith, that God has acted through His Son Jesus to save us from our sins and justify us, that is to bring us into a right relationship with God, with Him. In Romans chapter 8, Paul paints us, gives us a very beautiful picture of the results of God's salvation for us. It is by grace, it's not something that we can earn or work for. And he, Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Rome who might be facing some challenges in their midst, including probably some tensions uh, arising and misunderstandings arising between Jewish and Gentile or non-Jewish Christians in the church there. Paul will present the gospel of Jesus Christ as God's plan to save both Jews and non-Jews from their sins and bring them together to be part of a single family. They are together as adopted children in God's household. Now, in describing how we, people from different um, races, cultural backgrounds, different histories, can be part of the same family, Paul uses a formal legal term used in those days. And we see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the spirit you have received, you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This term is a formal term, adoption to sonship. This refers to the practice of adopting a male heir with full legal privileges as a son, full rights of inheritance of the family. So it is a legal status conferred in formal adoption cases that provides the adopted son with status, privilege, and honor of the family. So Paul uses this legal term of adoption to explain God's adoption of believers, both male and female, into his own household family as his sons and daughters, with full status of honor and rights of inheritance. So the important thing here is that whenever we read Paul referring to adoption, to sonship, he's referring to both male and female believers being adopted into God's own family. The Apostle Paul compares our state of adoption to what we were previously before coming to faith in Jesus. We were once slaves without a family identity and without any rights. Paul says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. There's a world of difference between sonship and slavery, between those who are considered as God's children and those who are slaves to fear and sin. 
A slave has no rights, no honour. In the ancient world, a slave is considered a piece of property that you can buy, sell and own. In legal terms, the slave was no better than a piece of furniture. And in fact, modern-day slavery and human trafficking still treats humans no better than opportunities for abuse and exploitation. But being a son of, or daughter with full legal rights and inheritance in a family is a world of difference. A son and daughter have identity. They have personalities, character, and potential that are highly valued, treasured, highly cherished and loved in the family. And that is what the Bible says we are when we believe in Jesus. We become adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, a sovereign and everlasting God, whom we now call Abba, Father. Paul continues to say in Romans 8.15 that since we have received the spirit of adoption to sonship, we address God in that intimate, affectionate, relational way our Papa, our Daddy, our loving Father in heaven. Now, there may be some of us who may not have good relationships or good memories of our earthly fathers. Some may have grown up without a father or without the presence of a father. Nonetheless, I think in our deepest heart, no matter how our earthly fathers have filled us, in our deepest heart, we have an instinctive longing and understanding of what a good father should provide. Affectionate but strong love that provides security, authority and discipline for a good purpose. Teaching us, teaching us about life and many areas as we, that we long for as children. In God the Father, we have an Abba, a father with a heart of perfect love and goodness for all his children. Whatever good in our earthly fathers comes from our heavenly father. He is the source of all fatherly goodness and security. Whatever we lack from our earthly fathers can also be found in our heavenly father. He is the, he is the source of a restored experience of what it means to be loved by a father, whether you're two years old or 92 years old. So the big idea for us today is we need to experience God as our heavenly father. When we are adopted as God's children, we have freedom from fear, a family identity, and father-directed prayer. First, freedom from fear. Fear no longer enslaves us. As we have seen, Paul describes our former existence before being adopted into God's family as slavery to fear. In our broken world, it is not unusual to experience a variety of fear and anxieties. There are some fears, however, that can rob us of the joy of living. Fears of being abandoned, of living life without meaning or purpose. Fears of being rejected. As we age and encounter health crisis, we're confronted with the fears of human frailty and the frailty of life itself. 
The importance of fathers and mothers in shaping the emotional well-being of children and helping them cope with fears and anxieties of life is, of course, fundamental. Studies of fatherhood, for example, show significant impact on childhood development when a father is absent. There are strong evidence for negative social, economic, or emotional de development and mental health struggles. And this shouldn't really surprise us since the Bible shows us God designed for families with stable marriages and the importance of faith formation within families. But the Bible also says that the fundamental relationship that provides stability and hope in our lives is our relationship with God. As the creator and giver of life, no one else knows us as well as God. And it's it is from this relationship that we can find our true source of hope and security. Without knowing God's love for us, we are cut off from how we are created. God created us to be in relationship with Him. When we choose to live apart from God, things start to break down around us. Our marriages, our lives, our work, our relationships lose their ultimate meaning and purpose. We start to manufacture and create things for ourselves to give us hope and meaning. The perfect career, financial and career success, the perfect marriage, the perfect children. And when all of these perfect fantasies fail us as they would, when the circumstances of this broken world confront us, we find ourselves subject to all kinds of fears and anxieties. And there's just one fundamental fear, that our lives are without meaning and purpose, that we are without salvation from judgment. No matter how successful we become, how much good works we try to put in, there is always an emptiness deep within us without God. Without God, we are all slaves to that deep emptiness. And it's not just the fear about not having a purpose, it is also the fear of condemnation when we realize that we have to face God as judge for the sins committed in life. One could be a multi-billionaire, but still a slave to dark emptiness without the love of God. Another person could be a low-income worker by living as a child of God, filled with a richness in the soul because of the love of God. Again, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does, you, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The fundamental difference between a slave to sin and fear and a child of God. A slave is subject to fear because he has no choice and no future. A child of God has no enslaving fear because she has a loving Heavenly Father with a heart of perfect goodness and mercies. Now to be clear, everyone is subject to fears and anxieties. But a child of God overcomes fear with the constant reminder of the love of God. Paul says this in Romans 8.16, that the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Meaning, as we cry, Abba, Father, in the face of fears and difficulties in life, God's Spirit works within us to remind us that we are God's children. A slave in trouble has no one to speak up on his behalf when confronted with powerful authorities and unjust masters. But a child of God has God as father who will defend their welfare. Anything, any power that causes us to fear have to bow down to the power and authority of our Father in heaven. So a child of God need not live in constant fear. God's children overcome the circumstances of life by, re by being reminded by the Holy Spirit that they are children of God, secured with the love and power of a perfect Father in heaven. It is the love of God and the assurance of His saving power that gives us constant hope and assurance in this life because we, are, we know that we are not abandoned as orphans but precious and loved by an awesome and mighty God who is also our Heavenly Father. Our first takeaway then is that we must not live as abandoned orphans if we are children of God. We must, start, we must not tell ourselves that no one cares for us no one loves us when God himself has demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die for our sins so that we can become his adopted child. Second, as God's children, we have a family identity. And this identity shapes our life purpose and priorities. How can we tell if a child belongs to his or her parents? if we were not actually told of the fact. But one obvious way is the family resemblance in terms of looks and mannerisms. It is also the way the family relates to one another, even if they don't actually use the terms father, mother, or son, or daughter in that moment. Also, in healthy families, there's a strong sense of identity and belonging to the family. In the same way, there's also a strong sense of identity and belonging in God's family. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul makes or gives us the one key defining characteristic of a child of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. When we are adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us to mold us and lead us to live as God's children. But how do we actually tell if the Holy Spirit is living in us and leading us? One of the surest signs is that we start to live, think, and feel differently. We have different perspectives about God, ourselves, and others. Our lives begin to be shaped by God's Word as the Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to bring our lives into alignment with God's ways. Now, certainly we are not made perfect overnight, for sure. We still have our sins and limitations and weakness, that's for sure. But we are increasingly shaped to live life from God's perspective. This new way of living, of following God's ways, 
is our family identity as God's children. But that identity also shapes our priorities and purpose. Now, in biblical times, it is common for families to work together as a household to make a living, whether it's in farming or in a merchant trade, carpentry, masonry, metal work in towns. It was a household business where children are trained and worked alongside parents and other workers. Children then had what we call on-the-job education, skills training, as part of the daily family business, rather than a formal education system that we have now today. Growing up, a child would have increasing responsibilities to learn the family business, the family trade. And the child needed to stay close and observe the work of the parents to learn to do likewise as they grow in maturity. Eventually, they will come to inherit the family business or start living in families of their own. This will be a helpful way to understand how being God's children gives us new purpose and direction in living for God's kingdom, that is, our family business. When he was 12 years old, Jesus' parents thought they had lost him when they couldn't find him after leaving Jerusalem, after spending a time of festival there. When they discovered that he was not with them, they rushed back to the city and they eventually found him in the temple engaged with the religious teachers. And Jesus asked his mother, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And another way of translating this is that I had to be about my father's business. From that young age, Jesus' sense of priorities and purpose were dominated by his heavenly father's calling for him. Later in his ministry, Jesus will say this in John chapter, 15, uh, John chapter 5, verse 17 and 19. In verse 17, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father, his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus' sense of purpose and priorities was shaped by his identity and calling as God's son. As the son, God watched to see how his father was working around him and then did the father's work as the father showed him. In other words, Jesus lived in response to how his father was leading him and showing him the work that was required. Now, we might have the impression that since uh, Jesus was the, is the divine sign of God, everything would have come automatically to him without thinking. But we also have to remember that although Jesus was always and fully divine, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He became fully human as well, and yet without sin. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to his Father's will. And as God adopts us into his family, our life purpose and priorities take on eternal significance and impact as we live in response to God's initiative and work around us. And so if you ever find yourself doubtful about what you are, going, what you are doing, 
what you're supposed to do, keep this in mind. You are to be about your father's business. You are called into the work of God's kingdom in its various forms. Some of us here might be studying hard in a particular area, or you might be practicing your profession in a particular industry. Your highest and greatest calling remains being about your father's business, where he has placed you. In other words, if you're studying and building your skills and qualifications, see this in a larger picture that God is preparing for you to serve him in a particular area. The studies and exams are important, but see them, see them as increasing the possibilities and the potential that God will use in the future where you can make an impact for God's kingdom. In fact, you can already make a huge impact in school through your friendships, through your prayers, and by sharing the gospel. Many students today join worthwhile courses and activities in school or university or college, and that is great. But if you are a child of God, you have the greater calling to make an eternal impact through the gospel. If you are praying for career advancement or promotion, start to see this also in a larger picture of how God uses your career, your work relationships to impact those around you. Career advancement is important, but the greater significance is to be used by God for eternal impact as you serve Him in the workplace. Many working professionals in the marketplace, in the workplace, in companies, are using their professional networks and connections for very worthwhile causes and social good. And that is very encouraging. But if you are a child of God, you have a greater calling in serving God by your Christian values, by your Christian witness and influence, as well as sharing the gospel. Living in obedience to God and serving Him can be costly. People around us can reject us and oppose us, and sometimes the opposition comes from our families, our relatives. Many believers around the world today face persecutions and hardships because of their faith in Jesus. And throughout history to the present day, church leaders, evangelists, missionaries are targeted and threatened for their work to show God's love and teach the Bible. But our family identity as God's children gives us the assurance that we will share in the inheritance of what God has prepared for those who love Him. In Romans 8, 17, Paul writes, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Every beautiful thing, every good purpose of God, His work of new creation, that glory of that new creation, is ours to share as our inheritance with Christ Jesus, our Lord. So our second key takeaway is be involved with the work of your Heavenly Father. It is all of grace. You're not trying to earn your salvation. You are participating in the family business. Third, as God's children, we have father-directed prayers. 
impactful prayers come from an intimate faith relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus taught His disciples to pray to God as their Heavenly Father. He describes prayer as close, intimate communication or relating with God as our Father. In teaching about prayer, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is not, prayer is not for public show, right? Public display. Uh, but it's your intimate connection, your relationship with God. And when you pray, do not keep on blabbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of your many words. So in the, in the, in the old days, in the ancient world, pagan um, religions tend to emphasize you, you follow a certain formula, a certain ritual, you recite it, and by that, you are able to get a favorable answer. You, in that sense, you are able to manipulate that deity or that God. But that is not our prayer with our Heavenly Father. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need before you ask Him. And in verse 9 and following, Jesus taught His disciples, this then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. So Jesus taught that prayer is not a mere religious ritual that one has to endure, but an intimate time of relating to God as Father. Prayer is not about flowery language or paganistic ritual to perform before God or others. It is meant to be a deep, impactful connection with our Heavenly Father. We recently had our prayer training here in church, as you all know, and there are many good uh, practical aspects that we can learn from one another in terms of prayer. But we must always remember that the core of prayer is the cry of the soul, Abba, Father. That is the basis of your prayer. This deep cry within us comes through all circumstances of life, when we rejoice before the Lord, or come with struggles or grief before the Lord. Prayer for a believer has impact only because it is a cry from the heart of a child to a perfect loving Father in heaven. One of our struggles or challenges in prayer is when our prayers seem to go unanswered, or not, at least not answered to our hopes, or when the weight of what we are praying seems to be too heavy. We run out of words, and whatever words we use seem to be insignificant. But being a child of God means that your prayers are never forsaken or wasted. God takes your prayers personally. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27, Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes or prays for us, intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So our prayers are not just based on our own strength and efforts. 
in our struggles and weakness, the Holy Spirit intercedes. He prays for us. The Spirit who dwells within us intercedes for us according to God's will. And that means that there is no area of our lives that is not covered by the grace and love of God the Father, despite the struggles we face in life. Because God's Spirit Himself prays and intercedes for us. And so even in areas where we feel powerless and helpless, the Holy Spirit takes our deepest hopes and struggles and connects them with the sovereign will and purposes of God. Take this as our comfort. The Spirit's prayers for us will never fail because they are always prayed in accordance to God's perfect will. And it's important to see as the Spirit intercedes for us in verse 27 there, that we can feel assured that God's greater purposes are being fulfilled in and through our lives. We can have the assurance that even when the struggle is great, that God is still working. The next, the next verse, verse 28, that we know so well, tells us that we know in all things that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. So then we have this assurance that there are no unanswered prayers for the child of God. Prayers may be answered differently than what we expect or hope or in a different timing than we hope. But there is always the greater fulfillment that God will bring in answer to our prayers. We have the assurance that when and while we are praying, God's greater purposes are powerfully at work to bring about our ultimate good. And not only does the Spirit intercede for us, Christ Himself intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of God in Romans chapter, as Romans chapter 8, verse 34 tells us. As a child of God, you not only have that intimate relationship and connection with God the Father through prayer, you are also supported by the prayers of the Holy Spirit working in you and the intercession of God's Son, Jesus, upholding your well-being before God's throne. In the Spirit-empowered and Christ-supported prayers, you will come to experience the Father heart of God in every aspect of life. And so, dear friends, in conclusion, experiencing the Father heart of God frees us from living in fear. It gives us meaning and purpose in life and empowers our prayer life as His beloved adopted child through Christ our Lord. And so as you face any and every circumstance of life, may your spirit within you say, in Christ, I am a beloved child of God. I am loved by my Father in heaven. I live in hope of my Father's perfect goodness in my life. I'd like to spend some time praying for us right now. I'd like to invite you to come into the Lord's presence and I'd like to ask you, if you have not experienced God as your Father, 
if you have always thought of God as distant or remote, if you have not ever experienced the Father heart of God, I'd like to invite you to encounter the living God as Father in this moment. Some of us may have been Christians for a long time, but our experience of God as Father has been marked by our earthly experiences. We may not have fully accepted God as a loving Father. And I'd like to invite you to open up your hearts to the Lord even right now and to experience His Father heart. Father, even as we come into your presence, Lord, I want to pray, Father, for those in our midst now that have never experienced your Father heart of goodness. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you will pour out your love into their hearts, into their lives. And if the Lord is touching your heart right now, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Dear Father, I come as I am. I've never experienced you as God and Father, but I come now and ask for your love to be working in my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that He is my Lord and Savior. And I want to experience your fatherly love and salvation even right now. Father, for those of us who have been believers for a long time but struggle to experience and receive your love, Father, I pray that you will move us by your healing, that you will heal us of whatever that is blocking us from experience, from experiencing the full heart of your fatherly goodness and love for us. Some of us are held back because of our experiences in life, because of some trauma or experience that we have experienced from our fathers or from others. But Lord, we come now as your children. Your word, Lord, says that we are your children. And so by faith, Lord, we pray that we will experience your Father's love, your acceptance, your forgiveness, your goodness and love. Heavenly Father, we want to pray in every area of our prayer life, that is dry, that is hindered, that is without hope. Father, we pray that you let us experience how your Holy Spirit works in our hearts to intercede in our point of weaknesses. That in all our struggles, we will experience the assurance that you are working out your purposes in our lives and through our lives. And so, Lord, we want to pray that you will revive our prayer life, that our prayer life will be renewed 
because of your fatherly goodness and love for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we are your children. We come not because we are good, but because you are good. And so we pray that everyone here will be renewed with the assurance that you love us and that we are surrounded by your fatherly goodness and mercies for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.